Hello, everyone. Um, before I get started, um, I do want to let you know we did have some audio issues with this episode. Um, I am very sorry about that. However, this is still a great story. Um, we'll have something to take away from this. Uh, once again, I do apologize about the audio issues, um, but please enjoy and have a good day, y'all. What's up, everybody? Comedian Vaughn Michael here with What's the Lesson Podcast, a podcast where I interview different people about experiences and stories that they've been through. Today's guests will be talking about how they found out that they were diagnosed with scoliosis at the age of 15, um, how that affected them, you know, how they overcame that, and how is life today with that diagnosis. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today's guest's name is Yasmin Aladi. Yasmin Aladi is the daughter of Libyan and Egyptian immigrants, otherwise known as a North African unicorn. She was born in Egypt and came to the United States at age four, growing up in the Deep South. That's right, the place otherwise known as the most accepting part of the country. Yasmin is an attorney, comedian, and relationship expert. Her alter ego is Yas Guru a hyperactive relationship advisor with silly videos on Instagram and YouTube. You can catch her edition relationship advice every Monday on Instagram for hashtag Merry Mondays. She has performed all over the DMV, toured in the UK and across the country. Most recently performing at the Kennedy Center with Story District for Comedic Storytelling. So today I want to talk to you about finding out um, found out that you had scoliosis. Um, so how, yes. how old were you when you found out? I found out when I was 14. 14. Um, they thought I had the flu and, um, they were afraid I had pneumonia in lungs. Mm -hmm. So they took a chest x-ray and they said, Hey, good news. You don't have pneumonia, but you got a pretty bad curvature in your spine. And you didn't know about this? And I was like, well, I, I have some pain. Um, but it was severe. So you had pain b before you even had this. Um, how far did the pain go back, like, age-wise? Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, the, the, I probably had um, uh, back pain um, probably since I was, like, 12. But I, I have a pretty high uh, tolerance for pain. Like I have a high pain threshold. I would find out later that I had a high pain threshold when I, when I had my children. I naturally birthed both of my children without medication. Um, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that there was something like terribly wrong with me. Um, but the curve uh, kept expanding. And the more it expands, the more pain you, you so enter into chronic pain. you find pain. out, they tell you, you, you have this. At, yeah. um, how did that make you feel at this point? What was your you know, reaction? Yes. Well, my mom was pretty upset. We, uh, you know, we were on um, like government sponsored health insurance because we could not afford uh, health insurance. And my mom felt like she was responsible in some way, like, like she did wrong by me or something. And I, I just thought that was so silly. Um, I knew how hard it was uh, growing up. Uh, you know, I'm the daughter of refugees uh, from 
Libya and Egypt. Um, we were, you know, political asylum seekers here in this country. And I knew like the way right. that I thought about it, if you were really rich, you had health insurance. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I thought about it. So I just, you know, I knew that they will, they both work multiple jobs. They were just trying the best that they could. And, um, there's no way to really mm-hmm. like, know. they were supposed to catch it in middle school. You know, you do a test when they're supposed to catch it, but you know, these are like middle school coaches, right. basketball coaches and stuff. They're not really trained at um seeing you know understanding curvature like they're seeing a bunch of you know young girls or young boys doing this test and they're thinking oh god like mm-hmm. and now i gotta do this most of these kids are gonna be just fine um right without realizing like so, some of us are um, not fine so it sounds like it affected your mom did it affect you well the way that you thought about it no i was like you know the, the way that i uh approached it was like okay i guess that explains it but this isn't going to affect my life that's the way that i thought about it i sort of dismissed it like you know when you're young you also think you're invincible so i was just like oh okay i got a little like i got a little curve in my back mm-hmm. like why are y'all even freaking out about this okay. like chill um so you find down in and what's the next steps for you after that so they had told me that i needed to come back and like do x-rays um, you know, every, at least every six months, but they were recommending every three mm-hmm. months because I was going through a growth spurt. Like they could see the plates in my, um, in my bones had not closed. Mm-hmm. They called epif- epiphyseal plates and they basically are the best indicators of growth. And they saw that I had a lot of growth that was left in me and I, they were right. I would like shoot up like four more inches, uh, between the ages of 14 and 15, so they were afraid. They were like, you know, this is going, this is going to like get worse. But I was like, I'm sorry, how much do I have to pay for each X-ray? So I was like, you know, I was like, it's going to be fine. Um, my mom was like, just don't carry your heavy backpack. But like, I was, my whole life was school. I was just trying to like get my family into a better situation, and I mm-hmm. knew that education was my ticket to help them. So. I kept carrying my, you know, heavy book bag. My mom was like, I'll get you this roller bag. I was like, I am not a band geek, mom. I'm not doing that. So I wanted to be cool, you know. Um, but it got really bad. So some people with scoliosis have to call S-curves, so their curvature in their thoracic and mm-hmm. their lumbar vertebrae, um, including their cervical vertebrae. So the cervical is your neck, basically. The thoracic mm-hmm. is your chest vertebrae. And then the lumbar is your lower back vertebrae. And I was blessed enough to just have okay. a lower back curvature uh, in the lumbar vertebrae but it's also the most serious like so many women um there's a high percentage of women like almost 30 percent of women suffer some type of thoracic or basically the 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 vertebrae that cover your chest some curvature um some degree of curvature but my curvature was pretty severe in the lower lumbar vertebrae and that's actually dangerous i would find out Mm -hmm. later it's pretty dangerous because i started um not being able to breathe um like basically if i twisted a certain way my lungs would feel like they were compressed Mm -hmm. and it was actually because my rib cage was was twisted it was actually like out of alignment and one of my ribs was about to puncture my lung okay and then i I was like hey mom i really think i need to go back to the doctor (laughs) i'm sorry and she was like, don't say sorry, we're going to do this. <laughs> and then we went in, and uh, it was pretty bad. I had a 45-degree a, a curve, so it went from, like, 
you know, 18 degrees to 45 degrees within a year. So, okay. So, oh, so that was within a year. Okay. Yes. And yes. 45 degrees for someone that knows anything about it, that's really bad is what you're saying? That's, that's pretty bad. Uh, it's a, you know, if you, if you think about circles, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's like old school geometry. Um, you know, a 45 degree, uh, shift in, in something means, you know, like a 90 degree is like a heavy, we know that it's like, that's like, that's like a strong turn. You right. Know? Um, that's like, Oh, I'm going straight now I'm going left. Um, but okay. a 45 degree is like half of that. So it's, it's a pretty pronounced, um, curvature when you're thinking about all the bones in your body being rotated. Mm-hmm in 45 degrees so it's not like i'm going completely left it's not like i'm going totally left but like i'm definitely curved to the left right you know i'm veering off the road and body was angry at me um and i was going through pretty severe pain and um like i said i i was only concerned because i like was having some breathing trouble okay and um, so you're having breathing troubles, the breathing troubles that affected, I guess, your, your overall life at that point? Yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, and I was, I was due back in anyways for my yearly checkup, and so I was, like, getting myself ready, uh, for the news, um, and they said, oh, you know, uh, you know, you might be in a back brace, is what they had told me a year prior, so I'm thinking, maybe I can just wear a back brace and it'll, like, correct it or something. Mm-hmm. I was still, like, very chill about it, super laid back, trying to act like I was, you know, indestructible. Okay. So, at this point, you're 15. Yes. Um, it, 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 it's gotten worse. You yes. You go back to the doctor. Um, yes. Having breathing troubles. What, yes. What does the doctor say? Um, they, they're astonished. They're like, what the hell happened here? Um... First of all, you're so much taller than you were before. I was like, yeah, am I? <laughs> oh, man, I didn't notice. My pants were off, too. Like, one of my pants was longer than the other. It happens when your lower lumbar vertebrae is curved. Actually, everything is rotated. Your shoulders, your ribcage, and your hips. Mm-hmm. So my pants were sitting all funny, like, really high on one side and low on the other. And I was like, yeah, I was noticing, like, my pants, you know, were kind of fitting wrong. And they were thing is wrong. It's mm-hmm. not just the pants. So they, uh, you know, and I was like, again, I was like so hyper-focused on just achieving. I wanted to get straight A's. I wanted to have a over 4.0. I wanted to take every advanced course known to humankind. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to like dominate um, so that I could, uh, you know, get a, get a scholarship to go to college because I knew my parents could not afford to pay for me to go to college. And I was like tutoring on the side to try to just get money for, uh, gas and stuff. Um, because in a carpool with, with some of my friends. So anyways, um, I, I need to pay for gas or I need to pay for stuff at school. So I was just trying to like, uh, do whatever, you know, I could to just be strongly focused on school. But the doctor was like, you're, you're a candidate for immediate surgery. Immediate. Mm-hmm. So they scheduled my surgery a month after that. Okay. Um, I, so that was in April. And in that month, a lot of stuff had to happen. So um, people who ha- undergo major surgery know that sometimes um, you, you receive blood transfusions just okay. in case um, there's hemorrhaging that happens. But the best possible person to donate blood to you is yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually donate blood to yourself. 
and you're supposed to do a bag, which is like a quart of blood every mm-hmm. once, like once a month is supposed mm-hmm. to be the maximum. Well, they try to get four quarts out of me in one month. So we once a week. So they pretty badly bruised up my arm um, on the way towards uh, donating, you know, the blood to myself, really needing it. And I hemorrhaged pretty badly during the surgery and needed two and a half hold bags on, hold of on my one own second. blood. Hold, hold on one second. Okay. Let's, let's get back to it. So they, they tell you that you you had, um, they wanted to get your surgery in a month, right? Yes. Um, yes. For, for what it sounds like that, it's, it sounds like you're, you pretty much like you, you take care of others. So you you, you yes. want to make sure everybody everyone else is okay. So yes. How did it make you feel that you know did it did you feel like you couldn't take care of others? You know, um, having to go through surgery this quick. Did it feel like it crippled you at all, or like how was your feelings towards that? My feeling was like I I'm happy that this is happening during the summer is what I was thinking. Um, so my surgery was scheduled for May. This all happened in April. Um, and I was happy at least to have like the summer as downtime so that I could be reading. I was thinking, Oh, I'll read. Like I won't have to go to school. No, I won't be a burden on anybody. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get me to school. I don't have to pay for gas. Like that's all I was thinking about. (laughs) And I was just like, Oh, and like summer, like I won't miss any school. Like I'll be able to take my AP exam. Okay. About man. Um, I was feeling like I'm going to bounce back. Like I'm if if I you know if I'm gonna take any downtime I cannot withdraw from school okay. that ain't gonna happen that's what I was thinking I was thinking I've got to keep moving and I can't cry about it either I was super strong my family was so confused about why I was so strong about it mm-hmm. they were like don't aren't you scared like I remember my brother was asking like aren't you scared and I was like what what is there to be scared about bro like it's gonna happen and then right. I'm gonna keep going. Um, you know, I was like, why are we fighting against our fate? What you, mm-hmm. you know, what you got to do is just accept your fate and keep it, keep it pushing, keep it moving. Okay. So it sounds like it was the perfect time for it to happen. It was the absolute perfect time for it to happen. And so I came into it kind of like excited too. Cause I was like, Oh, this is like a new challenge. Um, this will be something interesting. They, they actually ended up also uh, electrocuting me mm-hmm. <laughs> twice uh, in that month prior because they have to test how fast the nerves um, speak to each other, basically from the brain to the knee and to the knee to the leg in an attempt to not cut any nerves during that surgery. Okay. But, um, and that felt like fire ants. That was not fun. <laughs> Being electrocuted with 200 volts of electricity is not fun. Oh, wow. Um, but that's what they do. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I kind of was, I, I, you know, I was, I was, I thought it was pretty cool. Like what they were describing in the surgery. I was always one of these kids that, was interested in physiology and anatomy and, and biology. And basically they were doing a very radical form of surgery for me at the time in 2002. Mm-hmm. They were opening basically uh, my back from the front and fusing my back from the front, which was sort of radical at the time. Mm-hmm. Every other back fusion um, that happened prior to the 2000s primarily was from the back, a fusion from the back of the vertebrae. This was from the front of the vertebrae, mm-hmm. which meant they had to slice me in half like from my belly button all the way up towards the middle of my back. Basically, they slice me in half, move the organs, deflate the lung, break the back, and reassemble it. So I kind of thought it was kind of cool, too, because I was doing something that was kind of new and a little bit edgy, and my parents thought that was so weird, too, that I was like, well, this is, you know what I mean? That could be like a test case. Like, this could be research 
They were just like, you are insane. Please stay alive. Uh, but they, you know, my dad was sort of supportive of that because he was like, at least that's keeping her mind off of like the very real pain that she's about to experience and that she doesn't right. know anything about because she's so young and stupid. So, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Um, surgery day. Yes. Um, how, how did that go? So the day of the surgery, you know, you can't eat uh, for 24 hours. Uh, so I just remember being really hungry and very cold. I was so thin. I was just like this tiny little thing. Like, um, I didn't eat like very much cause I was very focused on like doing everything else. Like I felt like food was a nuisance. It like got in the way of like the stuff I needed to get done. I was crazy. Now I, I don't even know who that girl is anymore. I love food. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I just remember being really cold, um, and being very ready, very okay. ready. I also, you know, uh, I have pretty, um, you know, I have a pretty strong, um, I would say like a faithful upbringing with my parents, like about the belief in God, um, a very, very strong belief that, you know, God is in control, that God will take care of you no matter mm-hmm. what. So it felt, I felt very protected by God. Um, but my, you know, my brother was sweating bullets. My mom was crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up passing out from being so scared actually. And I was just, come on, <laughs> this is not about you, mom. And, you know, I was, like, a punk teenager, you know, at the time, too. I was always, like, they don't know anything. They can't relate to me. Like, you know, like, I'm, you know, I obviously, I'm a know-it-all. Like, this mm-hmm. is going to be fine. You know, when you're young, and you, you think that um, the world is your oyster and that you've got everything sort of figured out. Right. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I was one of those. I was one, definitely one of those kids. And so I remember going in thinking, okay, uh, like, let's do this. Let's do this, boo. <laughs> so how's the surgery um yes. how, how did it go okay so i hemorrhaged pretty badly during the surgery um i i needed uh two and a half bags of my own blood during the surgery i would need the other half bag afterwards okay they cut the sympathetic nerve to my left leg um and what that really means is that you know nerves are very uh tricky little things mm-hmm. they uh are thin they're like hair-like the sympathetic nervous system is a part of your flight or flight response. So it actually deals with sweating. They cut the nerve that allows me to sweat from my waist down on my left side. And I remember thinking like, what? Like my left leg was, was so overheated. Like I could mm-hmm. feel it. It was like on fire from the heat. And that they were like, it's going to get better. We think, sorry. Oh, wow. you, yeah. Um, and I, and I threw up immediately when I woke up, uh, had a pretty strong bad reaction to the anesthesia Mm -hmm. the general anesthesia and i threw up stomach uh, acid because i had no food in my system and that is not fun can i just say (laughs) Uh, because i was intubated um and so my throat was so was already sore and then all that acid i felt uh like i couldn't talk i remember my brother asking me like how do you feel and i just remember going horrible Mm -hmm. i feel horrible and then he um, you know, he's like my best friend and he actually like started tearing up. Um, I, you know, I'll always remember that my mom then passed out again. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, really keep it together woman. <laughs> and my dad was just like praying over me and, um, happy that I was okay. They had stuck electrodes to my hair, uh-huh. to my head. They didn't shave my head, but they did stick uh, electrodes to my, uh, head. Basically the nerve activity. 
with airplane glue, mm -hmm. and I couldn't take a shower. Uh, and that bothered me because my hair was like a mess. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember uh, the chest tubes were the worst part. So because of the deflation of the lungs, because this was such a major surgery, I had an art artery line. So I had an art line through the, um, through my right arm, which means mm -hmm. like that's like a direct line into your system. And I had a chest tubes that were coming out of my left lung. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst part for sure. I was even cathetered. And then they had to recatheter me because they were like, oh, you can't get up to go to the bathroom. I'm like, are y'all like being like, <laughs> are y'all being serious right now? And that, that wasn't fun um, either. But definitely the worst part was the, the chest tubes. Your inner body and your outer body don't like to mix. Okay. So I, I, I spent four days in the ICU and seven days in the hospital, regular room to try to mm -hmm. recover. Um, and it was uh, the worst experience definitely of my life. So you said to recover. So yeah. what was the expected recovery to be like? Were you supposed to go right back to normal? <laughs> no, the recovery was um, okay. So for them, it's a, it's an estimated uh, three month recovery time. Okay. It took me four months to recover. And like, that's why I was excited, right? Like May to August, you know, mm -hmm. back to school. Uh, it took me four months to recover. Um, they also estimate that you're able to start, start walking within five days, four to mm -hmm. five days. Um, that didn't happen for me until around day eight. Okay. That's when I started walking and walking was tough. You know, you learn how to walk, um, given that you have, uh, the, and by the way, when I say walking, I mean with great assistance, you're not mm -hmm. just walking like <laughs> on your own. Um, you've got tubes that are, that are tied to you that are attached to you and from every, every angle. Mm-hmm. So, um, I remember just coming out of it, um, understanding what that kind of pain, you know, felt like it just changes you as a person. Uh, what do you, you mean? So I think that, you know, I, I'm sure people process pain in different ways, but mm -hmm. when that happened to me, when I felt that kind of pain for the first time in my life, it was so humbling. Um, I realized how fragile a human being really was. Okay. And I realized that um, people were dealing with a lot of pain that I didn't really ever understand before. Mm -hmm. And it made me expand in my compassion. Mm, okay. You know, and I realized, oh, like this is what it means to have your, your quality of life degraded so terribly. Right. This is what it means. This is what it means to have a chronically ill child. You know, when you see kids my age and they're chronically ill, um, you know, for me, I, it took a while to get my sense of smell. You know, I was on morphine. I had really pretty bad reactions to the drug. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was on everything from morphine to, you know, Percocet and Valium and whatever. And um, I, you know, and Oxycontin and they, I mean, they pumped me so full of drugs. And I remember thinking, too, like, I understand why people would get addicted to these kinds of drugs. It right. was just such an expansive moment as a 15-year-old. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that, man, did I change my relationship with my parents. In what way? Uh,
awareness. Um, so you said that um, you changed your relationship with your parents. Changed my relationship with my family, yeah, with my mom and dad. And how was that? So, you know, when you're 15 and your mom has to bathe you, mm-hmm. you know, you can't bathe yourself. Uh, she's helping you remove staples and stitches. You just have a, a totally newfound appreciation for the kind of love and service um, that your family provides for you. But really, my mom in particular, I just like stopped being a teenager, I feel like, at 15. I just stopped being a teenager. I was like, oh, life is like serious as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your parents will do anything for you. Right. Um, and they really would walk through the fire with you and they will pick you up like you're a baby, but you're, you know, a 15 year old, five, nine, five, 10, you know, adult. I'm taller than my mom and I was bigger than her, Mm -hmm. uh, physically and, uh, like literally nursed me back to health in every way. So it sounds like, um, make sure I'm getting this right. It sounds like this experience has mature, matured you at that point. <laughs> oh yeah, it matured the hell out of me, and it and it helped it. So it helped me understand, uh, like the blessings that someone has in their life that they sometimes forget about. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you're you sweat. Like I stopped sweating on the left side of my body. That actually that affects you. Um, that changes your ability to sleep properly. That changes, you know, the way that your body actually like um, cools down mm-hmm. and moisturizes your skin. Like the left side of my body is like ages so fast compared to the right side of my body, and you would never even stop to think about something like that. So, um, you know, during this, because you're still in the summer, um, you said yes. it lasted about four months, and it yes. sounds like you, you're maturing. Um, yes. Mentally, like, um, it, did it affect you? Like, um, were you depressed at all? Any definitely. I definitely, I had, I was fighting a lot of depression um, that I was definitely not ready for, if that makes sense. Like, you know, when I was, like, going into it, like, I was, like, about it like thought about it like i'm gonna fight this thing of course i'm gonna win Mm -hmm. you know afterwards when you're in the middle of um not being you know not being able to to sleep properly not being able to move properly your lungs hurting uh back uh in serious pain your your internal organs are bruised because Mm -hmm. they don't like to be touched and moved around you know i had so much pain from in my liver and my kidneys Mm um and I definitely went through a depression. Also felt like I didn't want to be addicted to the drugs, so I was trying to weed myself off the drugs mm-hmm. that they gave me. And that was really hard. Um, and I felt like I was never going to be normal. You know, that's the overwhelming feeling when you feel so debilitated and disabled like that. Uh-huh. You feel like I'm never going to be normal. I was going to physical therapy, you know, three times a week okay. to try to gain my faculties back. And it was painful as hell. Because your nerves, there's so much nerve damage that happens that, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to tell you about. There's so much neuropathy that happens in all of, in the incision site, like all down. And the scarring was so bad, you know, as a 15-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. I never thought about, like, oh, like, this scar is going to literally, like, it, it's going to have uh, its own culture. You know, right. it, it, my scar is gnarly bro like it's it's kind of, it's i mean i think now it's like sexy and beautiful because <laughs> it's me because you know 
if I ever right. if I ever had a tattoo, it would be I would tattoo myself right across that scar. It would say "Stronger than you think you are." So, um, how did yeah. you cope during that that summer? I would say. So I remember um, definitely talking to uh, people who were like social workers, uh, licensed um, clinical social workers, LCSWs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that would check in with me regularly. Actually, it was kind of cool because. Uh, the state, um, the state sponsored insurance is what really helped me cover, you know, uh, it was called all kids. In okay. uh, and I was, um, so grateful, still so grateful to that program, um, for covering the, the, you know, serious and very needed medically necessary procedures for children in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, you know, part of that, there are caseworkers that follow up with families, you know, and I remember having great conversations with them, but, you know, my best friend will call me every week, and I had another best friend who lived close by who came to see me every week, and that w- those conversations were really important, even when it was a bad day, even when I was having a pretty bad day and felt like I was stuck to go out, you know, she would do all sorts of, she'd say, let's do your nails, you know, she'd do my nails for me, she'd, mm-hmm. she'd braid my hair, you know, she'd tell me about all what's going on. You know, she'd, she'd bring me, you know, a new pair of shoes because, you know, you never size out of shoes, is mm-hmm. what she said. <laughs> you know, and, and she'd bring me chocolate, and um, I relied very heavily on that work. I also had um, a good relationship with uh, the local, um, you know, spiritual leader at my mosque, okay. uh, at my at my masjid, who came to visit on a monthly basis. And he, he was actually, he came to visit so many times, my family. Um, in the hospital, mm-hmm. which was lovely. And, it, you know, I felt very carried by the community. I had my high school friends, too, that were so cute. You know, they came by and would, you know, make me encouraging messages and signs and stuff to just keep going, which was really lovely. Um, so it was a community. It was a community of people that helped me cope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I also... Uh, you know, the gains, the small gains that you do make in physical therapy are very powerful. Okay. And they make you feel like, okay, I am making progress towards something, mm-hmm. and I think they help with the depression. The other kind of cool thing is that I had been elected the senior class president of my high school. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, president of the prom committee, as oh. the chairman of the prom committee as a result. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to raise money for the prom. And it was kind of cool to do all these doctor's visits because I sold magazines to every single doctor's office and, you know, every, every nurse. I kind of, you know, hi, I had a debilitating surgery, mm-hmm. as you know, and uh, I have to raise money and I can't go door to door, you know, because I can, you know, I can't walk very well. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really great if you guys could buy these magazines. And I like smashed every record in my high school for selling magazines oh wow <laughs> magazine subscriptions i sold over two thousand dollars or twenty four hundred dollars over twenty four hundred dollars worth of magazine subscriptions so i won like a prizes too that helped it made me just feel productive you know okay um i remember reading a lot of tony morrison who's my favorite author as well um like a book uh, song of solomon and beloved mm-hmm. and these books you know, to human struggle. And it made, it put things into context for me too. I'm like, man, like I don't even actually have it that bad, which I know a lot of people are like, if you're a victim of some, you know, thing, or if you're going through something terrible, don't try to compare 
Right, right. You know, don't try to compare. Like your feelings are valid, mm-hmm. but damn, I needed a, I needed a comparison. You know, I needed a metric. <laughs> I needed to be like, where am I on the on the spectrum of human suffering? Oh, it ain't that bad. Okay, shut up, you sweet. Like you could do this. Right. So it really helped me understand. You know, to understand the the black struggle really helped me understand. Like, I gotta be I gotta be focused on trying to seek justice. Get my get myself into law school. Do good for people. Um. I don't really have it that bad. It helped. So four months you, you go yes. through this. Um, how is yes. life compared to before you went through the surgery? So the scar is the major um, is the major difference. It's like a lasting scar. It's literally across your body. Okay. Um, and I've had you know I've had uh, a lot of neuronal um, like like sort of um, I don't mean to say neuronal. I meant to say nerve. But it is a neuronal, but it's, it's basically nerve damage mm-hmm. across my abdomen. You know, they also cut through all these muscles in my stomach on the left side. So mm-hmm. that's not that's not fun either. Um, so there's a lot of like physical effects that have come afterward. But um, I became also, uh, I think, mentally really, really, really strong, a lot stronger than before. You know, you could act like you're tough. But when you when you go through some shit, like you become tough. Right. So I I remember feeling a lot more powerful and capable of dealing with things. So um, I also realized that I needed to be compassionate with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not good at that. I was not good at taking time to do things for myself or whatever. And afterwards uh I, I remember just sitting outside and just being grateful to be able to take a walk mm-hmm. you know and i would slowly build up to running um and uh you know it, t- it took me 10 years to get from learning how to walk again to to running my first half marathon which was a really really big an emotional accomplishment for me so through that 10 years where you like yeah. building up mileage wise because a mar- yes. half marathon is what about 13 miles 13.1 yeah yeah, I was. Um, I'd run like little, you know, five Ks, which are you know a little over three miles. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you know, I sometimes I'd run a mile, sometimes I'd run run two, but I I never really gone over three okay. because um, you know your lower your lower back muscles have to be strong enough to carry you through that. You know, right. when you start running in the beginning, you're you know if your if your stomach is weak, if your abdomen's weak, and if your back is weak. When I had this, I had I was a culprit of two of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing you're gonna feel in pretty intense pain when you start running so um you know let alone of course the joint problems like your knees and your ankles but anyways i i had to build um towards that slowly but it felt like a really pretty pretty amazing accomplishment um and there's a book you know there, there are definitely many books but there's a book about you know how what is i think it's called like for dummies or something like mm-hmm. basically like it's teaching you that you know you have to learn how to be an athlete and like e- e- each of us has an athlete inside of us um and you can work towards that goal slowly and incrementally so it just um very maturing that's a very mature way of viewing life you know when you're young you want everything to happen right now right right so quickly and i think that you know to be honest like an artist i feel like it's just a whole progression of that immaturity, you mm-hmm. know, like having that, wanting that instant gratification at any age is right. immature as hell. 
Yeah, especially with social media. Especially on social media. Um, and especially in thinking, like, people can't progress. Like, you know, you can't, you want to cancel them because they make one misstep, you know? Mm-hmm. They do something wrong or they did something wrong in their past. That means I got to erase them. Like, people build towards who they who they are today. Right, right, exactly. And, and that takes time, right? And, 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 and you won't get to your goal right away. Mm-hmm. That takes time. And to be compassionate and merciful with yourself. But to also, that, that needs to be around the people that are part of your community. Right. You know, to be, to be uh, merciful and, 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 com- and compassionate with them as well. So um, you said 10 years it, it took you to yeah. be able to do it. Like, um, was that a plan at all? Was that like, hey, in no. 10 years I'm going to do this? No, I just wanted to be healthy, um, you know, Vaughn. I wanted to – the doctors were really clear with me that weight was going to be a problem, that if I gained too much weight, um, that that was just going to be a natural, um, what they call a catalyst for arthritis in my back. Okay. Due to the fact that I have a titanium rod in my back with four screws. Mm-hmm. So as a result, those um, that titanium and that metal in your body over time weakens your joints. And when you put more compression on those joints due to and the vertebrae and the and the and the um, the uh, the actual um, it's not collagen is the word I'm uh, cartilage is the word I'm looking for. Right. When you put pressure on that cartilage, compression happens from weight, too much weight on the body. Mm-hmm. So they were like, look, like the BMI is your friend, like BMI chart. Um, and so I knew that I needed to remain active, but I'm going to tell you, Vaughn, pregnancy was something else because in pregnancy, uh-huh. you, you know, you gain weight so quickly. You can't even. Right. Um, and, uh, for my first pregnancy, I was really serious about cycling. I got like really into cycling. I began cross training that cycling and swimming mm-hmm. from running. Um, and I really wanted to do a triathlon, which is still one of my goals, but, um, I haven't been able to do that yet. Um, and anyways, what I was going to say is that, um, I kind of did everything I could to keep my and stay active. But for my second pregnancy, it was much harder because I just didn't have time because I was running after a toddler. So I gained more weight even for my second pregnancy. And it just it's just created a lot of back pain for me and stuff too. And right now I'm carrying about 20 to 25 extra pounds that I probably need to lose uh, to reduce the chronic, the chronic pain that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I live with chronic pain, to be honest with you, Vaughn. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, you know, the, the pregnancy, so I'm only a, a year and a half out from my last pregnancy. So I, you know, I've given myself kind of like a six month sort of window to get healthier, okay. to reduce the pain. Um, I have a little Debbie snack addiction, I'm <laughs> not proud of it, but, um, you know, I got it. I sometimes hide them like in the car and stuff away from the kids. That's, I need a moment. Right. <laughs> I need a fudge round. I need a Swiss cake roll, but that, that that'll it'll eventually catch up with me. It has caught up with me, so I need to lose a little bit of extra weight, really for my back, not for any other reason. Okay. Um, so that the the compression doesn't create um the unfortunate circumstance of early onset arthritis. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 
So it seems like it's, it's something that you, you have to work on constantly. Yes, it is, which sucks, but it's like, that's the best thing you can do for your health, right? The best thing you can do for your health is to remain active. Right. Um, it's just the best thing that you can do for your health as you get older. You know, that's maybe like the takeaway message here. Mm-hmm. Remain active, remain compassionate. Um, and, and as to, you know, eat in a healthy way, not because you shouldn't love the body that you're in. I want everybody to love the body that they're in, mm-hmm. but because your body also, um, needs to carry you. If you're, especially if you're chronically ill or if you've got conditions, your body has to carry more of a burden than other bodies. Mm, okay. And I would say, um, so what is the lesson you, you say you learned from everything that you went through or still going through? Yeah. Um, be grateful for every movement and for everything that's going right in your body. You know, all the things that are going right in your body, the, the symphony, the perfect orchestra, the perfect music that your body has to make mm-hmm. for it to work is a thing of, of, of the ages. I mean, it is, it is a true masterpiece. Be grateful for when it's working and when it's not working work on uh, everything that is in your power in your hands to to help that and and just realize that you know to be compassionate and to be merciful to the people around you who are suffering with uh, chronic pain is so important it's um it's such an important thing to also just like love and respect your parents even though they might get on your nerves (laughs) just know that like you know if the way that parenting is supposed to work Mm -hmm. You know, is that if something happened to you, you know, and you needed a kidney, we'll be the first person to sign up, you know, to do that. Um, that's if your parents are good. If your parents are terrible, I'm sorry. Um, and and that sucks. And to try to find a, you know, a supportive network to instead of that. But, you know, tr- try to try to really hold on to the people who, um, you know, are, is your day one crew, day one crew like. Right. your mom and dad and your and your siblings um that's that's my big takeaway message and you know stop telling if you're young if you're listening to this i don't know vaughn who your who your uh, audience is but if you're young especially if you're in your teenage years stop telling your parents that they don't get you and they should like they must hate you and like this is all about like how they just will never be able to relate like shut up for a second and get humble and learn, you know, like be, be willing to learn and, and realize like your limitations. So I'll work on them. I mean, you know, when you think, oh, I, I have limitations, it doesn't mean that you can't improve, but just realize like we all have room to improve. Right. So that's my big takeaway message. And, you know, you can get through anything, you know, you can get through anything. You know, that's a big, that's a big message from my religion, you know, being a Muslim and, and, mm-hmm. and having Islam in my life, you know, it says that God does not put you through a test that you cannot bear. Right. He will never burden a soul beyond what he or she can bear, which is hard to hear. Mm-hmm. I know, especially for people who have gone through substance, you know, a lot of, a lot of substantive and difficult abuse. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, there's something to that. There's something to that. And there's something to the expansion that you, that you get from that. Right. Um, so anyways. That's all I got to say, Vaughn, about that. <laughs> so um, how can people follow you on social media? What are your social media Yes, platforms? 
Yeah, so my social media is at YazGuru, Y-A-S-G-U-R-U. Instagram, I have a Facebook page. Yaz Laughs is my comedy page. It sucks. It's not very good. I'm working <laughs> on it. It's on YouTube, Y-A-S Laughs, L-A-U-G-H-S. Um, I do stand-up comedy. That's how I got to know Vaughn. I'm not very good. I'm still trying to get better oh, at funny. it. funny. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm okay. I'm, like, not even three years in. So, you know, it's like I'm, I'm still a baby mm-hmm. uh, in that world. But anyways, uh, yeah, you can follow me. I do relationship advice on Instagram on something called Merry Mondays, which is a platform. You can see it on my story highlights and in my IG stories where I do relationship advice. It's definitely – God-centric for the people who don't believe God, you are not going to like me. But uh, 